We're going to get started this morning. Um, jump into the word here. My hope is to not keep us long this morning. And everyone said, okay. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and get those out. Um, we are going to get started this morning in, uh, in the word as usual. See if I can get this thing to work this morning. We're going to go to Isaiah. We're, we're wrapping up the, the last uh, Sunday message in our series um, for the Advent with uh, the title, O Come Emmanuel. So let me see if I can get this to work here real fast. Uh, before we jump into Isaiah, though, I want to go ahead and uh, encourage all of you real fast to uh, make sure you are reaching out to those in your life, those who uh, God's put in your little sphere of influence to... Uh, Invite them to our Christmas Eve service. We're expecting God to do some great stuff. I'm really, really excited. I haven't been this excited for a church service in a long time. I think God's going to show up and do some pretty awesome stuff for us. Amen. We even have inter- interstate travelers coming to be a part of it. So that, should, that doesn't convince you. I don't know it will. They just came from Montana. Just Montana. Uh, can we all actually stand to our feet before we jump in this morning into the word, before we really dive into the message. I want to just read a few, uh, have us read rather a few verses to just kind of saturate ourselves. I'm not going to specifically be preaching off these. I just want them kind of in our minds as we jump into the word, as we jump into what God's going to speak to us this morning. So the first is Numbers 23, uh, 19, and I'd like it if we could, if we could all read this together like we love Jesus. We're Christians, we can pretend, right? All right, let's read this together. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. He has said, and he will, and will he not do it? Confuse anybody else? Okay, there we go. There we go. Let's read that again. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? The next we got is uh, 2 Corinthians. We're going to read a couple verses out of 2 Corinthians one twenty. Let's read this together. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Anybody want to just throw out a guess real fast as to who the him is? So on the stage. I can just point to the stage now. Jesus. We made too much of Jesus. Don't have enough room for it. No? Yeah, if you laugh, it'll just make me want to do it again. Um, next, we're going to read 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Let's read this together. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. All right, and let's get our Bibles out. We're going to go to uh, Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 through 9. Uh, Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 through 9. We're going to read this, and then we'll jump in. It says, Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the people 
a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that you do not know you shall, shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel. For he has glorified you. Verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your way, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you that it is living and it's active. God, I thank you that it's not passive and dead. God, we thank you that you did not merely inspire men to write down good thoughts for us to read, but God, rather you gave us your words in the Bible. And we come to it this morning asking for you to breathe life upon it, for you to breathe your spirit upon it, Let it be activated in us today. Let us hear it and receive it. Let us partake of your word. Let us listen diligently as you would call us to, that we might be satisfied in you. God, come and have your way. Let us be transformed by your word. Let us be doers of it, not just hearers of it, that you might be glorified and honored in our midst. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. Thanks for standing. So, big picture this morning. This is kind of the last message in this series, as far as for Sundays go, of our final wrap-up message uh, for the whole series, technically Christmas Eve at our service. Um, But I want to kind of take a moment and look kind of at the the big picture, at the scope, at all of it here for just a moment. And even before we look at the big scope of this series, I I feel compelled to remind us of the scope of the narrative of Scripture, that that we need to see here that that God has chosen to make promises to us, his people. There are promises that God has spoken to us. There are things that God has delivered to us as his people— God has chosen to commit himself into the affairs of men. The important thing I think for us to realize is that he chose to do this in and of himself. What I mean by that is there's nothing external that pulled God to do this. We like to think uh, in ourselves that, well, we're just so darn lovable that God couldn't help but invest in us. We're just such a good investment. God would have been stupid to not invest in us. But the reality is nothing in us caused God to be drawn to us. Something in himself compelled him to come to us. Subtle difference, but I think it's important, and I think it's a drastic difference as you continue down the path. If, if God came to me because of something in me, 
that he really does owe me certain things. But if, if he chose to invest himself because of something in him, if there's something in himself that invested, then he fulfills the promise of his word in coming. You see, when he came to us in the Advent, when he came to us in Emmanuel, when he came to us in the Christmas story, when Jesus comes to us, he fulfills every promise he made to us. I will hope to spend the next decades that God gives me pastoring this church, spending every Sunday trying to unpack for us more what we mean when we say it's all about Jesus. Every promise God made to you, every promise in the word is utterly and totally fulfilled in Jesus. Because he promised not those things, he promised himself. So then we understand, though, from this verse, from these verses, from this passage, I love the way it puts it. His ways and his thoughts are higher than ours. So let's, let's dive into this here real fast as this pertains to the Advent, how we tie this together here. We see then that God has made promises to us, but he says, my, my thoughts and my ways are higher, grander, more exalted, better than yours. So we hear the plans And we think of things, right? The word literally, my ways and my thoughts, the word thoughts there in the Hebrew, literally it means, it does mean thinking, but it also means meditation and it also means plans. That means when God plans something, he doesn't plan like you. Any married people in the room, right? Husband plans one way, husband thinks one way, husband communicates one way, wife plans, wife thinks, wife communicates another way. And we call this marriage. Right? Same things happens as we read these promises in the word. We get all excited because we think the way we think. We plan the way we plan. Anybody ever had this happen before where, where, where you know like something's going to happen and so you start mulling over it in your head thinking of all the different ways that it could come about? I'm gonna, I could do this and then this would happen and then this could happen and then this and this would take place and that would be really cool and then this would, ooh, and that would be kind of awesome. God says, look, I don't plan the way you plan. So when I promised to bring you goodness, when I promised blessing in your life, when I came and I made good and precious promises to you, the ultimate fulfillment of those things wouldn't be those things. They wouldn't terminate upon themselves. They would be me, thus causing you to be drawn to me. It's all about Jesus. Come on, somebody. So then all of our hope, all of our, 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 our thinking, all of our planning is completely and utterly below that which what God desired for us. So we find then Jesus fulfilling all those promises. So let's kind of turn here into what we've already seen and what we've already learned, do a quick review. We saw ultimately that we have wandered ourselves, ourselves into the wilderness, that we, we recognize, we, we can look at the world around us, we can look at life and, and existence for all of humanity and go, something isn't right. Something's off, something's askew, something, something doesn't line up quite the way that it should. 
And there can be a tendency, because our ways are lower than God's ways, right, to blame God for our situation. And what we saw so eloquently discovered in Isaiah 64 is as Isaiah is crying out to God as to why he has restrained himself from us in humanity, Isaiah ultimately stumbles upon the the ultimate answer is that we have wandered away from God. We have chosen to abandon him. We have chosen Luke 4, 7, 3, 8, I don't know. Uh, we have chosen to, to pull ourselves away from him and where we would want to blame God, we ultimately have to realize that there's nobody to blame for the mistakes, the fallingness, the fallenness, the sinfulness, the selfishness in our life but ourselves. Look, it's completely human to try to blame somebody else. When Adam tried to blame Eve, right? Eve tried to blame the devil and we've all been following along ever since then. And ultimately, what the scriptures teach us is that none of that matters. We are the ones who are responsible for wandering ourselves away from God. So here we find ourselves away. Here we find ourselves pulled apart, and we are without hope. But in the advent of Jesus, candle number one, we have hope. That he literally, completely, utterly obliterates hopelessness in our lives. Like there is no shadow on the surface of the sun, there is no hopelessness in the presence of God. That when Jesus comes and he manifests his presence, every problem, every issue, every situation and circumstance that plagues you, that worries you, that troubles you, is completely and utterly dealt with. Name one situation in your life that if the manifest presence of God showed up in your daily life, it would not solve that problem. I can't name one. I've yet to come up with a good, clever answer to that. So we have hope in his presence. And what we find is that he promises, catch this, he promises to come to us. We can't get to him. So he says, I'll come to you. We can't find our way from where we are back to him. So he says, don't worry about it. I'll come to you. You're lonely. You're isolated. You're pulled away. You're in a wilderness. You're in a desert. I'll come to you. I'll rend the heavens. I'll come down. I will be the one to span the distance that you have caused to be between us. So in his goodness, in his mercy, in his graciousness, he comes to us. He comes. But not only does he do that, this is amazing. Not only does he come to us, but he says, I'm also going to prepare you to receive me when I come. He bears upon himself the responsibility not only to span the distance, but also to prepare his people to recognize him when he comes. How amazing is that? Because here's the problem. Let's be honest. Let's just be real. We, humanity was already in relationship with God. We chose to wander away. So what good is it if he comes again? (laughs) Just wander away. So he says, I'm going to prepare you, and I'm going to be the one to bear that responsibility. Why? Because it's all about Jesus. So he says, I'm going to come. I'm going to be the one to spend the distance. I'm going to prepare you. How does he prepare us? He prepares us through repentance. What did John the Baptist preach to prepare people for the coming of Jesus? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Realize that you're wrong and he's right. What we, we, we kind of tend to think in Christianity in extremes, Right? Can I say that about us? I mean, we, we, it's, we, it's, it's all or nothing. And so we, we want to think of like, you know, we want to think of this as, as all or nothing. And the reality is that our experience is often a teetering scale. 
And my hope in my life and in your life is that we constantly are putting more weight on the God being right and less on the our, us being right. John the Baptist echoed this when he says, look, I don't mind that my ministry's over. I have to decrease for him to increase. There is a connectiveness. There is a connection between the, the rightness that you want to believe that you are and the rightness that you can proclaim that God is. The more right God is, hello, the more wrong I have to be. And conversely, the more wrong I am, the more right I can confess that God is. And so repentance is the way that we prepare to see him. So he comes and he calls us to repentance. If you don't like to repent, be a Muslim. Because the Christian life is all repentance. It's just, I'm wrong, and then I'm wrong again, and then later I come back and I'm wrong again. And then after that, I'm wrong. It's kind of like being married and being a man. I'm wrong, and then I'm wrong again. It's just for me, at least. I'm wrong, and then I'm wrong again. My dad had two rules growing up. Rule number one, dad is always right. Rule number two, if dad is ever wrong, refer back to rule number one. And that was the way we grew up. I'm used to being wrong. We need to realize that this repentance is the normal lifespan of the believer. It's what the Bible calls us to. And there is, listen please, there is sorrow when we realize we're wrong. I can stand up here and it's easy for me to say, that no one has failed you more than you. It's easy for me to say it to myself. It's easy for me to kind of make a joke about it and talk about how I can't even find my keys, but I think God should let me run my life. The reality is, is that the pain of that realization, when you really realize it in a situation, when you, when you apply that to something bigger than your keys, it hurts. There's sorrow. And please hear me, that is part of repentance. If repentance for you is like, yeah, I was wrong about that, no big deal. Sorry. Oops. It's not repentance. When there's sorrow, that's repentance. So we see that God chooses Jesus in himself, says, I will be the one to span the distance. I will come to you. I will bear the responsibility of giving you the gift of repentance. Then he says, you know what? It's not even going to just be that. Repentance does not only produce sorrow. We saw very clearly both in Isaiah and Nehemiah that true repentance produces joy. Two big reasons I want to remind us why repentance has to produce joy. Number one, because repentance in his coming, true repentance, true repentance, transforms the wilderness that we're in into something greater. We see kind of this theme throughout Scripture where it says when, when, when Christ will come, when God will come, when his presence comes, the wildernesses become amazing, abundant forests and jungles and gardens. Life comes to the dead place where you are, and that's joy. He comes, he prepares us, he transforms the place. Therefore, we don't stay in sorrow, but we move to joy. I'm not saying skip over sorrow. I'm saying reap the fruits of sorrow, which is joy. I'm not going to go into all that again, even though I want to listen to last week's message. So we have joy, one, because he's going to transform it, but also we saw this amazingly from from, uh, Nehemiah. We completely misquote it, but the joy of the Lord is our strength. Not only does he transform the place that we're in, and, and please hear me, this is a tension type thing that I hope we're mature enough to hear. I rejoice and celebrate and worship and praise God for transforming the wilderness that was my life into something greater. But it's still just a transformed wilderness. I want something more than that. 
I don't want to just live in a better version of what I already have. Look, there was, there was provision in the wilderness for the children of Israel, but that wasn't where they wanted to live. There's provision for us in the wilderness in Christ, but that's not where I want to stay. So the joy, catch this please, is his joy that he gives to us. So do you catch this? He comes to us. This is ridiculous. This is scandalous. This is wrong. He comes to us, doesn't make us come to him. He chooses to come to us. He chooses to be the one to bear the responsibility to prepare us through repentance, giving us the gift of repentance. He then chooses to invest himself in giving us his strength through joy so that we can get out of the wilderness. How amazing is that? We have one more candle, though. You thought I didn't remember to light it, didn't you? It's waiting. Build up. I'm a professional. So we have hope. We have preparation. We have feedback. We have joy. The last candle before we light the Christ candle on Christmas Eve, which is the big white one if you couldn't figure that out. It's the candle of love. And we could choose this morning to talk about the love that he gives us for himself. And that would be a good morning spent. But I think a better way to spend this morning would be to look at the affection and the love that he has for us. Because truthfully, it's his love that he calls us to love him with. He chooses to come to us. He chooses to bear the responsibility to prepare us. He chooses to invest in us the strength of joy to walk out of the wilderness that we have chosen to wander into. And here's where it becomes Difficult for me. He also says, I will change the very thing in you that caused you to wander out there in the first place. I don't mean this to sound weird. I can kind of get my arms around a God who will forgive me. I mean, I can kind of somehow find in the fallen, messed up, bent view of myself in the egotistical kind of self-centered view, I can kind of convince myself that it wasn't a bad thing for God to say, you're wrong, but I forgive you. I can kind of find that, kind of make sense of that. But for a God to not only say, for a holy, righteous, pure, and just God to not only say forgiven, but to say innocent, I I don't have somewhere to put that. Because not only do we have forgiveness of sin in Christ, but we are promised a new nature in him as well. And I don't understand that. That bothers me. It doesn't sit right. I don't have a box to put that in. Like, I, can, I forgive my kids. They break something. I, I, as their dad, forgive them. But I don't know the way that I make that thing unbroken. And yet that's what we find in him. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come to you. Where you are, I'm going to come there. I'll span the distance and come to you. I'll prepare you to receive me. I'll give you strength and hope and joy in the place that you're in to get out of the place that you're in. 
but also I'll remove what the hymn so beautifully called that prone to wander. I'll remove it. I'm going to take it away. And how does he do that? Through his love and his affection for us. Catch the first part of, of, of Isaiah 55, right? Why do you spend all that you have on stuff that doesn't satisfy you? What do you think causes you to wander? An unsatisfied, unfulfilled, unmet longing that's in you. And Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to come and I'm going to give you me and it's going to take care of that. We tend to believe the next thing will fulfill us. Well, the last thing I bought didn't really fill the need in me, but the next thing I buy, that's going to do it. The gift I got last Christmas didn't really do it, but the gift I'll get this Christmas, man, it's going gonna, it's gonna to just make me feel all warm and fuzzy. It's just going to be awesome. You know, the last relationship, well, the last six relationships I was in, they really didn't satisfy me. But the next one, she, he, shim's going to be the one. Not that. I mean, you know, they're going to be, they're going to be it. They're going to, they're going to make me feel satisfied and fulfilled because they're just going to be everything to me. I'm just moving on. They're going to, they're going to just make me feel all warm and fuzzy and going to make me really realize that I'm beautiful. And they're going to, they're going to just call me to be brave and they're going to love me unconditionally. And it's going to be great. No one else has, but this next person, I don't know who they are yet, but they're going to really make me feel that way. You know, I, I lived in an apartment, and I knew I wanted a house, and I knew I'd be happy when I got a house, so I got a house, and it's really not the house I want, but the next house I buy, and I think the vacation home that I buy after the next house that I buy, that's going to make me feel great. You know, the only problem was the last car that I bought, it broke down, and I think the next car I buy will never break down, and then I'll be happy. And God says, none of that's going to satisfy you. I will satisfy you. Do you catch the... I, I struggle to not use words I'm not allowed to use from the platform. I, do you not understand the utter scandalousness of that? He'll satisfy you. Now, please hear me. I just am so wrought with tension. This is a process. I'm not sitting here saying, well, I still feel prone to wander. I must not be saved. Stop it. It's a process, okay? We're on a journey here with Jesus. All I can tell you is this. I am more sure of not only, and this is, this is another thing I'm hoping we're mature enough to hear. I'm not only more sure of his hold on me today than I was yesterday, I'm more sure of my hold on him. Not that my hold on him really matters. <laughs> but there's a certainty I have in a security that I have in him that I didn't have yesterday. And yesterday it was stronger than the day before. Listen, you will never be satisfied by lovers less wild than him. He's ridiculous. He's scandalous. He's dangerous. He's wild and unpredictable. And anything else other than that will bore you. And he has committed to showing us his love in a way that will make us drawn to him and remove that wandering from us. And this is what I mean when I say behavior modification isn't enough. And this is what I mean, big picture again. This is what I mean when when I say we are a presence-driven church. This 
The reason we spent this month, peek behind the curtain here, the reason we spent a month looking at the Advent isn't because we wanted to be hip and be cool and be all whatever. It's because I knew what we would learn through this. And we have to commit to a pattern of this as a church. When we want the presence of God, when we want to come before Jesus, when we want him to show himself to us, this better be what we're prepared for. This better be what we're asking for. Because I'm telling you the truth, anything less is a counterfeit and anything less is a hoax and anything less we're playing a game. And I refuse to play a game. When we ask for the presence of God, when we cry out for him to come and for him to meet with us, what we're asking is for him to span the distance to come to us. We are not saying, well, we just got to work ourselves up and get to God. Well, you know, if we play the right songs, we can kind of move down the path and journey into God. We're breaking through the barrier. No, we're not. We can't do anything. We suck at finding God. We've proven that. We just come and we lift up our voices and we cry out to him to come to us. You can't get to God. Do we understand this? You can't. This is the, the, one of the huge, gigantic, blaring differences. All paths lead to God. All religions are the same. Wrong. This is solely unique in the gospel, that God comes and says, I will be the one to come to you. He comes. As we worship, he comes. We don't come to him. We don't leave this place and float up to heaven. He comes and manifests himself to us. In that coming, we better be prepared to be shown that we're wrong. I just love to worship. It's great. I get goosebumps in the back of my neck, and then I go home feeling better. Take a Prozac. It'll do the same thing. (laughs) God doesn't just come and make you feel better. He comes and makes you different. He transforms you. He brings repentance as a gift to you. In that repentance, yes, there's sorrow, but it leads to joy. It leads to strength to walk out of the wilderness that you've walked yourself into. And from that place of joy, from that place of walking out, not only do you walk out of the desert, but in the journey, in the walking out, you find the pull to go back less and less and less, and you're transformed more into him because you're more satisfied today than you were yesterday in him. Okay, let's, oh, that's a lie. You're more satisfied this month than you were last month. Okay, let's be real. Year, this year than last year. (laughs) This is what we better be hoping for. This is what we better be prepared for when we enter into his presence, when we call out for Jesus to come, when we we call you to, to... to, to press into his presence, this is what we're hoping for. Because anything less is just cheap and fake and a lie. At best, we're pretending. And at worst, we're fooling ourselves and trying to fool all of our friends and family. Do you understand what we mean when we say behavior modification isn't enough? I want that. I, I, want, I, want, I want him to come to me. I want him to show me I'm wrong, even though I don't want him to. I want him to, and I want, I want to be sorrowful over my sin. I want to be filled with joy over the prospect of transformation, and I want to be changed. I don't want to try harder. Am I saying there won't be a, a need to exert the strength that comes through that joy? No. 
But that strength that we find to exert is his. Big, big, big picture, here's why. Because <laughs> he's not going to give you any credit for it. Such an uplifting message. You're not going to get any glory for your transformation this way. You try harder, you can get some of the glory. Well, I followed these 12 steps, and now I don't drink anymore. Good. Not good enough. Because the prone to wander is still there. You might have built a really big wall in front of it, and that's good, and I'm happy. I said this before. If you're a murderer and you stop murdering people, I'm happy for you. You did a good job. It's just not good enough. You're still guilty. I'll end with this. I, heard a, a, I was reading through some stuff online recently, and I, I read a story of a, a man who bought, back when Royals Royce first kind of started releasing cars that weren't just you know, custom-made for people. They released their cars, and their marketing campaign was literally the Rolls-Royce, the car that will never break down. So this, this very wealthy man, is like today, Rolls-Royces aren't cheap, so this very wealthy man bought one. The story I read is to be believed he was in France, driving around in France. Anybody want to guess what happened as he was driving around in France? It broke down. Car broke down. So, so he finds his way, this dates this story, finds his way to a phone, <laughs> finds his way to a phone and calls Rolls-Royce and goes, like, this is where I'm at, this is where the car broke down, what the heck? And they said, you know, no problem, sir. So they, they chose, they paid to fly a mechanic to where his car was broken down and they repaired his car, fixed it completely, and he was able to drive away. Same day. They, they got a guy on a plane, flew him where he was, fixed his car, he drove away. Very wealthy man, very prideful man, very, you know, does, his, does, does the right thing guy. So he, a couple months later, hasn't gotten a bill from Rolls Royce, right? He's like, what the heck? I can pay my bills. I'm not looking for charity. I'm just, you know, just called because my car is broken down, and Nobody fixes Rolls Royces because they never break down. So I called you. And so he calls up Rolls Royce again. He says, like, look, I, I want to pay my bill. You haven't sent it to me. You should know where I live. I told you all this before. Uh, you know, here's my car. Here's the number. Here's what happened. And they, they said this. They said, sir, we have no record of your car ever breaking down. Oh, to a God who has no record of me ever breaking down. <laughs> Yeah, I came, and I fixed you, and I did it all, and all of it's for me. But you know what? Um, We have no record of your sin anymore. We have no record of any of this ever having taken place. That's what we call for when we call for the presence of God. Stand to our feet. I've preached way longer than I planned. And I'd apologize, but it would be a lie. We're going to press back into the presence of God. And we're going to believe God for what we just spoke about. And we're going to ask him to come. And we've chosen to respond to God as a church in a few ways. We believe in pressing into him. We believe in having some time with Jesus to repent and to call upon his name. We've also chosen to worship and exalt him. We've also made it our culture to participate in communion every week as we gather together. So this table's open to all who've put their faith in Jesus. You don't have to have gone through a class or signed a paper. It's open to you. We take by a method known as antiquation. We take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup and partake. You can partake as you feel led as we enter back into worship. I, I have to say one more thing.
We don't worship to be changed. Okay, we don't, we don't, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not presenting to us worship as a means by which we can be changed. So when you want to be different, worship Jesus. We worship because he's worthy. We worship because he and he alone is worthy. And that's why we worship. We have an assurance that as we worship, we are changed. But if you go into worship to be changed, you're missing the whole point. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and we invite you to change us. And we invite you to show us where we're wrong by showing us where you're right. We invite you to come and to break through everything that seems to hold us away from you. Come and have your way in our midst today, God.